and welcome to another episode of Dependus Filaning, the podcast. And just want to say it is another milestone. It's episode 60. Woo-woo! Say what? Yay! We reached another milestone. Yay. Here we are. I am Jen. And I'm Veronica. And here we are on our yes. podcast journey again. On our 60th episode. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for keeping us up to date on that, Jen, because I didn't know. I don't even know I, uh, what day of the week it is today. <laughs> um, I feel you. If it wasn't for the fact of, you know, just typing out episode titles every week, I honestly wouldn't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know what day of the week it is or what, what day. Like, I don't know anything. I know mm-hmm. that. Uh, I fed my children spaghetti on Monday, and then Kyle had been talking about a spaghetti dinner for, like, the wing, like, all year, it feels like, and that was yesterday, and I was like, but I already fed the children spaghetti on Monday, and now we're going to have to eat more spaghetti, and he's like, yes, it's for a good cause. It's like, great. Mm, You know what I had tonight? Tell me. Spaghetti. (laughs) Did you really? (laughs) I did. Because it was quick and easy, and I could make it in that Crock-Pot Express in, like, 10 minutes. So. Dang. Yes. Dang. I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one of those thingies that you have, those magical cooking contraptions. I'm going to get yeah. one. It is. That's what it is. I mean, it's magical. It does all the things so fast. You can cook, like, potatoes in, like, five minutes. It's crazy. You know what else is magical and fast? What? emailing us (laughs) emailing us to tell us how we're doing let us know how we're doing at dependesplaining at gmail.com facebook instagram and twitter it's magical every time we receive an email or a comment or a rating it's so magical and it's fast as soon as you do it there it is there we are there There you are are. there yes you are we are we're all here yeah, speaking of that, because yes. we've got we got a nice little uh, shout out to give to our friend Alice, who we chat chatted with on Instagram the other day. Hi, Alice. Yeah, we appreciate Hi. you and all your support so much. And yes, keep it up. Yes, thank you guys for all your support, um, your emails, your comments, your ratings. We love it all. Keep them coming, and Millsell Muster too. Yes, please do that. Milso Muster, the app, download it. You can also subscribe for $4.99 a month, which you will get weekly podcasts and blogs, uh, premium social walls to meet other spouses, a job board where you can acquire and apply for openings in your area or remote jobs. And that's coming soon. It's not quite on there yet, but it's almost there. And you'll be automatically uh, locked into future resources that become available on the app just by subscribing to Milso Muster monthly. Yay. Get and that's it. only $4.99 a month? $4.99 a month. Less than $2 a day. I See, mean, a week. That's... Excuse me. I was going to say, Jen, you're not math. I was like, wait correct. a minute. <laughs> math. But I'm it's not less going than some of your. <laughs> it's less than some of your fancy schmancy coffees you get at those fancy smanshies coffee shops. So 
Yeah, and also mustard sounds more nutritious than, you know, <laughs> your double chocomocolata frappe latte venti extra syrup. <laughs> but sugar-free. Sugar-free, please. Sugar-free, just in case. <laughs> Gotta control them diabetes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. Yes, good stuff. Cool. Good stuff. What's been going on in your life, Jen? Tell us. Tell us while you're far away in in another in another planet it seems like. I know it does. It's st- I'm still can't get the hang of being like in the future at all. I Yeah. It blows my mind still. I'm like, "Oh, everybody's a day behind me and I'm almost done with my day and I don't know. It's weird." But <laughs> Yeah, it's the never-ending saga of the journey of my HHG where in the world is Jen's yeah. household goods. It's it's become a game now. It is. It's it's a it's a weekly thing of like, hey, where are those things? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. We'll check in next well, week. <laughs> welcome to the board game that is your life. Yeah. And you're trying to get your household goods that yeah. they are in jail. They and are. you are in jail as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You should have bought more land on the boardwalk. Oh. <sighs> I went straight to jail. Dang it. <laughs> straight to you jail. Do, do not pass go. And if you do, do not collect $200. <laughs> Except with an inconvenience claim, you can collect more than $200, which I will get into soon once we actually go through yeah. it fully. Because it's still, it, it, everything is just, everything just sucks. But it's okay. Because yeah. it's okay. I'm here. I'm here. I brought my microphone with me so I we can do these podcasts every week. Mm-hmm. And that's what matters. Everything else, whatever. I'll sleep on the floor. I don't care. You have a couch. Yeah. That belongs to you. So at least you have that. I know. At least we have that. So when the time comes, at least we have somewhere to sleep if um, right. when FMO can come take their furniture. So. Oh, man, when your bed gets there, it's going to be so magical. Remember, make your bed first. Yeah, seriously. It's going to be the best day ever. I cannot wait. Cannot wait for my bed. I know. Well, I'm excited for you for when that day comes. Maybe next week I'll have an update. that day comes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, keep us updated on that. Um, I went on a hike with my husband and some of his co-workers on Sunday. So we drove, the mofo lied to me. He said it was only like two hours north of here. It was like three and a half hours oh, drive. Oh, dang. Yeah. We drove up to the Peak District here in England, which is amazing. If anybody living here in England has the opportunity to go do it, it's gorgeous. Or if you ever make it to England. Um, it's highly recommended. So we did that. I hired a sitter to come stay with the kids, right? Because it wasn't going to be kid friendly. Oh my god, it was so gorgeous. It was it was great. It was a great time. We you know we were helicopters. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I heard a helicopter. It sounded like I was right over my head. Um. So we. We were just walking around, enjoying the landscape. It was so much fun. And then we started, like, um, we were, like, scrambling through, like, a creek. 
and we were jumping from boulder to boulder. It was fun. That was really fun, actually. We just had to be really careful where we placed our feet because everything was so slimy with algae. Mm, yeah. And then we got to this waterfall, and we're sitting at the waterfall and enjoying it. And by waterfall, I mean, like, it was like somebody was dumping a pitcher of water over 10 rocks. That was it. <laughs> it wasn't that magnificent, but it was still really neat to see. And we just kind of sat down, and we had lunch, and then... I noticed that we were kind of like trapped in this, it was the, it was the waterfall area. I was like, you could either go back down the way we came or climb up this wall, right? And there was like this area that looked like it was just loose rock and it looked less steep than climbing up the wall. So I was like, I was under the impression that we were just going to climb back down and then one of Kyle's coworkers, the one that took us, he's like, yeah, we're just going to go right up that wall right there. And I was like, are you, f- are you fucking kidding me? Like, we're not climbing up that. It was, like, steep, Jen. Like, you could... It was like climbing a wall. It was climbing a wall. And I was like, we're not doing that, Kyle, are we? He's like, yeah, we are. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, that's not possible. Like, how are we going to climb that? Like, there's no way. And everybody's like, yeah, we're doing it. And was, I was like, no. Like, no, I'll wait for you guys in the car. Like, no. And he goes, oh, once you get start going, like, it's really not that bad. It's not that steep. I was like, I don't think so. And I was the last one to go. And Kyle was carrying, like, everything in our hiking backpack. And I felt really bad for him because it was, like, water and, like, coats because they're, like, dress warm. So we put on, like, all these layers. And 15 minutes into the walk, we were all sweating bullets. So we just, like, ripped off all these layers and stuffed them in the backpack. So we get going in our walk and whatever. And it was it was great. It was great. We had a really good time. But climbing that wall, it was really scary. I was, like, like a fucking spider monkey like booking it up the wall because I did not want to look back down because it was so scary and I made it to the top like we all made it it was it was like you were climbing like a ladder like you had to use your hands and your feet your teeth anything you could get used like (laughs) to climb this wall so I finally made it up and I get to the edge and I look down it's straight down I was like oh my god it was like, if we would have fallen, like, if one person would have fallen, they would have taken all, taken us all out like dominoes. Yeah. So, and we're falling to our, to our death on these rocks. But luckily, we made it all safely, and the view was gorgeous, and we, we just kept walking, and we made it to this relic where it was an, an aircraft, airplane. I'll have to send you the picture, the pictures of it. It's really cool. And it's this plane from the 1940s that crashed there oh. from like world war ii it was going from one um one british base to another british base um it was an american it was a united states air force aircraft um but it was like it was just scattered everywhere like all these pieces and some of them were like really corroded from from the weather but some of them like the like the outside of the plane is what i imagine it was like you could see the rivets on it and it was just so shiny and and pretty like it was like it just happened and it was like pieces of airplane and I was like how is it in such good condition and it hasn't been blown away but anyways that was really cool to see and then we hiked back down and I think total we walked about nine miles it was fun it was a really good hike but we didn't get home till like close to 11 I felt really bad for my kids and for the sitter and so it was like oh no it was great it was fine she's so wonderful but I still felt guilty <laughs> mom guilt Always mom guilt. Oh, but that sounds so amazing. That sounds seriously and the so weather amazing. Was I great. cannot I can only imagine the view that you got to see from the very top. The climb, yeah. Yeah. 
that would be terrifying. But you did it. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. I don't think I would do that claim again. It was scary. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was, it was a fun hike and I, I love hiking. So I would, I would do it again. Just I wouldn't climb that wall. <laughs> yeah. And then the next day I was, I was like, I'm not sore. Like I'm like, I've been more sore from a workout. My legs hurt a little bit, but my feet were really tender because I could feel every rock on the way down. Oh, and then there's these like bits it's called a bog apparently and it's like just marshland it's like like swampy almost and it's you have this really thick brush of grass and like weeds and it fills up with water underneath so when you walk on it it's like walking on a waterbed it is the weirdest thing ever yeah you were like it was it was like we crossed this one stream and it was like really wet and I started walking because I was going to climb over a fence and it like the ground started moving and I was like, oh my God, quicksand, like what is this? And I was like, what is this? I was freaking out and I was like trying to get away from it and I couldn't. Every step I took, it was like a waterbed, like the whole ground moved. So I like found something solid and uh, everybody was laughing at me and I said, I'm going to, we're going to jump over this fence. So I went and jumped over the fence and I landed in another squishy part and I was like really spongy. And it was like, it was really cool to walk on. It was like walking on the moon. <laughs> it was like, like a space walk. I was just bouncing off of it. It was so weird. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. So, yeah. How cool. That, that was a, that was my, I think that was my favorite part of the hike. Every time we ran into those little squishy spots. These little spongy bits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was my adventure and my hike. And then, Jen, on Monday, I got to snuggle a little baby. <gasps> a little two-month-old baby. Aww. Yeah, she's so beautiful. She's so cute. And she fell asleep in my arms, and I was trying Aww. to bottle feed her. And Yeah, it was Aww, the best. It was the best. Yeah, I immediately Aww. texted Kyle because he's like, oh, how'd the baby go? And I was like, oh, she's so sweet. Like, I couldn't take it. I wanted to steal her. She was so, like, snuggly and cuddly and oh, cry. That's cry the best. And I look at my children. They're huge. Yeah. yeah. Can you believe those minions used to be that teeny tiny and squishy and cuddly? No. No, I cannot believe it. My son is just... No. What is going on with my son? He's so big all of a sudden. I know. I know. I don't like it. Everyone needs to stop like getting it older. It's not okay. Makes me sad. Yeah. Well, that sounds like fun, though. That's an awesome hike. I can't wait to go mm-hmm. on some hikes. Mm-hmm. Just get out of here. Just get out. Yeah. Let me out. Let For me out of my closet. Let me out. <laughs> For real, let me out. Let us all out. All right, Veronica. I yeah. am ready to hear your story. Jen, I have a story for you that's crazy. It hasn't really been recognized that much. I I don't think any other podcast has covered it. Not that I know of. I looked. I couldn't find anything. I did get a lot of my information from articles from CBS News and the San Diego Tribune. And I also found a YouTube video by a young lady... Um, under the name Just Brianna, and she discussed it a bit as well. So I got a lot of my info from these three sources. Um, My story today is about the murder of Brittany Kilgore. 
So let's get to it. Brittany was a two-year-old Marine wife from Missouri. She was married to Lance Corporal Corey Kilgore. They married in July on July 17th, 2010. They had dated for a few years, but very early on into their relationship, they had like started discussing marriage. So they got married. They were stationed at Camp Pendleton, which is located in Southern California in the San Diego County. They lived in Fallbrook, California, which is just east of Camp Pendleton. So they were still pretty close to the area in Southern California. I mean, it's really pretty. They were enjoying their newlywed life in such a great area, and they loved like going to the beach and sightseeing, and Brittany was learning how to cook. Everything was so new to them, you know, being newlyweds. You can put yourself in that stage too, Jen. Oh, yeah. Remember? So weird. Remember those I know. days? Thinking back. Yeah. Oh, babies. Babies, yeah. It's like everything's so new and exciting, and you just want to mm-hmm. – you're out of the house. And this this was the case for Brittany and Corey. They had never lived anywhere else before so it was like they're getting out of the house they're starting a new life it was really excited exciting for both of them it always is brand new always is so exciting at first it's it's such an incredible feeling even when you get to a new base it's exciting it is yeah even if you've been married for you know 10 plus years it's still exciting to get to a new base yeah for sure yeah (laughs) it's that kind of same feeling you get excited because it's something new yeah yep so, but soon after, Brittany started to feel um, lonely and isolated after arriving at Camp Pendleton, and the marriage got rocky with them. So, damn you helicopters, can't you fly at another time? <laughs> You'll hear it. So, Brittany and Corey were married for two years before they decided to call it quits. Brittany actually filed for divorce while Corey was deployed to Afghanistan. Uh. Um, I think, I'm not sure if it was a mutual agreement or... She just was, like, fed up with feeling lonely and, like I said, isolated where yeah. she was at. And she didn't have very many friends, so she just wanted to go back home. Um, so April 13, 2012, Brittany stops by her friend's house around 7 p.m. to pick up a dress her friend had loaned her. Brittany had agreed to go on a date with a man named Luis Ray Bettis. Bettis was a staff sergeant in the Marines, and he was 45 years old. So ah. a bit of an age gap between them. He was assigned to the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing and had served for 16 years. Jeez. Now, so Brittany picked up the dress and left to finish getting ready for this date. About 45 minutes after Brittany left her friend's house, her friend received a text from Brittany that read, Help. Her friend texted her back, What? Another one that read, Are you okay? And... Brittany, are you okay? I'm freaking out here. So a few minutes later, her friend receives a text from Brittany or from her phone that says, yes, I love this party. This right away drew concern from Brittany's friend because Brittany never texted the word yes, Y-E-S. She never texted that. She always texted her, yeah, Y-E-A-H. Good for her for catching that. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, this was the last text her friend would receive from Brittany's phone that night. Uh, So the following day, uh, Brittany's friend called the San Diego Police Department to report Brittany missing. Brittany's friend gave police the details with, you know, who who she had gone out with and where they were supposed to go and all that. The police then called Bettis, who was her date, 
in for questioning and he had he had no prior record or criminal record so he had no issue coming in to talk to the police he was like sure i'll come in you know i, I don't have anything to hide was what he was trying to say um according to Perez, he had gone to Brittany's apartment on april 13th around 4 p.m to help her move out of her apartment he st- he he states that he like asked her to go on a date with her with him like she he asked her out on a date and she declined. He said that if he, if she wanted help moving out, like he could help her, and then he would get like a few of the Marines to help help her move out as well, and so she would have more manpower. But she like she had to agree to go on this date, and she like refused. But then I guess she decided to go out with him after all. Like she knew him; it, he was an yeah. acquaintance. He wasn't just yeah. a random guy that stopped by her house. So she knew him. God, I would hope so, right? <laughs> Yeah, so she accepted his invitation after all, and I guess I guess she had even spoken to Bettis's girlfriend, and she reassured her it was perfectly acceptable that her boyfriend go on a date with another woman. So he Wait, was dating what? this other woman. Yeah. What? Yeah, he had a girlfriend. What oh, the whole gen. It, it gets, what? It gets what? bananas what? Well, uh, what? He has a girlfriend, and he's asking out another chick, and, you know, it's perfectly fine? Yeah. She was okay with it because she said she was feeling ill, so she was not up to going to this cruise, and she didn't want it to go to waste. So he was letting him, or she was letting Bettis, her boyfriend, go out with Brittany. No, that's not normal, people. That's not normal. <laughs> well, that's to weird. some, I guess. To them, it was uh, all right. Okay. Yeah. So Bettis uh-huh. then claims to have picked up Brittany from her apartment that same night. So that this was the night of April 13th, 2012, right? So this all happened. The moving and the date was all going to happen in one, the same day. Um, he picked her up around 7.30, then drove downtown, dropped off Brittany in front of the club, called, a club in downtown San Diego called Whiskey Girl, um, while he went to park his car. So he just dropped her off downtown San Diego and it's like, I'm going to, Go drop off the car and then I'll be right back and meet you. He said that he walked back to the club to meet up with Brittany but could not find her. So Perez says he spent about 30 minutes looking for her. Like I guess he like looked into the glass window of the place and he couldn't find her. And he thought, oh, she probably just hooked up with somebody else. So that motherfucker left. He left. That's This is what he's saying. He's like, I'm supposed to be on this date with this woman that I like was begging her to go out with me. And then I can't find her, so I'm leaving. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. So he went back to his house in Fallbrook. That's where they were at. Did I say that? Did I, co- did I cover that? They were from Fallbrook, just east of Pendleton, right? I said that. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Anyways. Yeah. So he was like, meh, can't find my date. I'll go home. Um, in this home, he shared with Dorothy, his 37-year-old girlfriend, and Dorothy's friend, Jessica, who's 25 at the time. So they were all roommates. They all lived together. Um, but the phone records show that Brittany and Bettis's phone were still in the Fallbrook area. Now, this is conflicting to me. So I, I'm thinking, because I didn't get the information correctly, maybe, but around the time that he claims that he had dropped off Brittany, the phone records show that they were still in Fallbrook. They were not in San Diego. Mm, okay. okay. However, a homeless man found Kilgore, I'm sorry, Brittany's phone, 
he found Brittany's phone in downtown San Diego, and I guess he found it, like, at his feet. Like, he was sleeping on the street, and the phone was right there. Um, so he was trying to sell it to a stranger, apparently. The stranger called Brittany's mother, who had been sending her photos and messages, prompting the mother to call law enforcement. So what happened was he... He, I guess, sells the phone to some stranger, and then the stranger notices that he's receiving all these text messages from Brittany's mother, and then he's like, oh, shit, this phone is stolen. Like, like he, this is a worried mother. And so he calls and speaks to her, and she's like, well, who are you? And, and he's like, I, I just, like, I bought this phone from somebody. And uh, she gets worried, and she's like, this is my daughter's phone. So she calls police and tells them what's going on. So, but also they had the, Brittany's friend had also called police and said, you know, my Mm -hmm. friend is missing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So detectives then asked to search Bettis' vehicle, right? So they had talked to him at the police station. He gives them this statement about dropping her off, can't find her, leaves her. And then they search his vehicle, uh, a white Ford Explorer, same vehicle he would have used to pick up Brittany, uh, to which Bettis agrees to, right? He's like, I don't have anything to hide. Mm-hmm, so sure. police find it, fresh caked mud under the vehicle and like on the on the wheel well and on the on the tires themselves, and also notice that Bettis has shoes with same with same type of mud on them. And so Bettis explains that he had recently picked up firewood from firewood from Camp Pendleton, and that's why his shoes and his vehicle were so muddy. So the detectives continue their search inside the vehicle where they find a pair of blue latex gloves that appear to have blood on them that later on luminal tests would confirm this suspicion that it really was blood. They also found a stun gun with a strand of hair on it and a stolen AR-15 assault rifle. Like it had been reported. Yeah, it had been reported stolen from, I guess, where he works. Bettis claimed that the the firearm was given to him via the Marine Corps <laughs> and that he didn't realize it was stolen. What? Oh, they just gave it to me. Yeah, because the Marines would just hand over a stolen gun. That's like what that, they right? do. The Marines are like, oh, hey, mm-hmm. you joined the Marine Corps. Here's an AR-15 just for your leisurely use. Yeah. No big deal. We acquired, we acquired it legally. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. That was me winking at you, Jen. Wink, wink. <laughs> Both my eyes. <laughs> Um, so they arrested him. They arrested him on felony charges of possessing an assault weapon and possessing stolen property. So Bettis is officially a person of interest and is taken into custody where his bond is set to 500,000. DNA later, DNA testing later confirmed that the blood and the hair belonged to Brittany, that the hair found on the... The stun gun, which was actually like a baton. It was like, it almost looked like those cattle prod, like. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Like in Handmaid's yeah. Tale, they have the long prods they use to um, shock the handmaids yeah. with. Yeah, so they, it was one of those. Jeez, the heck are you going to do with that? Yeah, and it was like charred to the, to the stun part, so it was her hair her blood on the blue latex glove that they found as well. So um, detectives then decided to search his phone and they find text messages he sent to Brittany on the night of April 13th. The first text message at 9.20 p.m. read, Your friends are calling me. I'm worried. 
Later on that same night, another text message that read, now I'm worried too. These are text messages he's sending to Brittany's phone around 9.20 p.m. So I'm just wondering, yeah, if he... If he was the last person seen with her and he dropped her off and he was, I guess, the last person to see her, why wouldn't he call the police too after receiving these text messages like, I'm worried? And he could have called like a friend or an acquaintance and been like, what's going on? Is she with you? Like, where is Brittany? This is what happened. I dropped her off. I didn't see her. We should call the police. Well, if he's getting text messages... Yeah, if he's getting text messages from her friends saying, like, hey, we haven't, you yeah. know, like, obviously he's saying he's he's getting these things. So why wouldn't you go and either talk to the friends about what you did, the story mm-hmm. that you are telling the police is the truth, and then, yeah, yeah, call the police yourself saying, like, hey, I can't find so-and-so, and uh, her friends are now worried, too, and come on. Yeah, be a little more involved in... Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So then the detectives, they decide to question Bettis' girlfriend, Dorothy. Now, Dorothy tells the police that Bettis returned home sometime between 10 p.m. and midnight. That's that's a two-hour gap. Like, that's that's a a two-hour guesstimation window. Like, oh, sometime between that time. I don't know exactly what time. I could be like... 10 and 11 maybe but like that's two hours you should have known what time anyways Mm -hmm. who guesstimates like that (laughs) that's too big of a gap you can't that's mm -mm, that doesn't count yeah you can't do that yeah and i guess and then he says he supposedly or she had said he supposedly didn't leave his home again until like the next day when he was summoned by the police to question him about Brittany. so then following morning so april 14th that that's the only like he came home after losing her basically and then didn't leave until the next morning. Mm-hmm. So, sure. So then the police, they continue with uh, the search of their home. And then, Jen, the police discover that the trio, so it's, it's Bettis, his girlfriend Dorothy, and Jessica, the roommate, right? Mm-hmm. Those people had a sex dungeon, they had a room dedicated to this stuff. They were into BDSM. They had lots of sex props. <laughs> Your face. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. So the police questioned the two ladies about this room, to which the ladies explained that they all have a master servant sex slave thing going on. It was hot, right? Oh. <laughs> it was hot. Yeah. So they were into spanking each other and, and hurting each other. That <laughs> mm. you know what? That's Sounds fine. Like- it's like a fine. good time. Yeah, it's weird to us because we don't we don't do that. Exactly. I don't think Jen. Do you have a red room that I don't know about? No. Yeah. It's yeah. it's great. Cool for people. I know some people are just really into that kind of stuff. Obviously, we went through all that with the Fifty Shades of Grey stuff. So, but um, yeah, it's not my thing. Not I'm, I don't I don't get it. Yeah, this was mm. no Fifty Shades of Grey. There's no handsome billionaire with helicopters, <laughs> with the beautiful young woman. This was a hot mess. <laughs> this was a hot mess. God. Yeah. Um. So when the investigators went back to the Fallbrook residence, when they found the red room, they uh, Dorothy and Jessica had they like were gone, and many of their belongings 
work on as well. What? So on April, yeah, so they had their like packed up and left. They packed up their their whips and their masks. <laughs> and their chains. <laughs> yeah. And their swings. Their leather chaps, swings, their nipple choke clamps. choke collars. Butt plugs. <laughs> This is serious. Sorry. We don't mean any disrespect. Uh, we don't mean any disrespect. No, no, We're just no. finding the humor in something. Anyways, um, <laughs> so on April 16th, authorities discovered that the two ladies, Dorothy and Jessica, had rented a room at the at the Ramada Inn in San Diego. And when authorities arrive at this location around 9.30 in the morning, they go up to the room that they had rented in room 105. They knocked on the door hoping to speak to the women, but Jessica, this is the roommate, she spoke to them through the door saying she was too exhausted to come to the door. To police. This is what she said. I'm not opening the door because I'm too exhausted. Oh, you have enough energy to tell the police that you're not coming to the door, so... Yeah, well... Come on. This is why. <laughs> the door was locked from, like, the inside with one of those chains, the, the ones that are, like, on a rail... Yeah. And so the police, they were able to get a bit of a view through the door, like through the crack in the door, and they saw there was blood all over the floor. <gasps> so this, yeah. So this made them, they kicked in the door and they stormed in. Uh, they find that Jessica was covered in blood from the waist down. Ah. She had, yeah, so it's her own blood that they see because she had self-inflicted knife wounds to her hands and her neck. So oh. I think she was trying to commit suicide. Um, and there was, yeah, and in the mirror that's on the dresser, I read in one, in one that it was, there was a message written lipstick, but I saw the picture and it wasn't written lipstick. It was on a note, like one of those hotel notes clipped to those hangers with mm-hmm. the clips on them. So I was on that and there, the message read, pigs, read this. And on the dresser below the message there was a seven-page letter confessing to Brittany's murder. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. She admits to using a sex toy to strangle Brittany to death. Dorothy also claimed that Brittany's murder was the result of her own jealousy because she believed that Brittany would seduce Bettis, whom she referred to as master. In the letter, oh she referred to him as her master. <laughs> I know, right? It's sick uh, all around. Why? Yeah. Why? D- no. <laughs> no. Yeah. So Jessica, the roommate, had tried to dismember Brittany but was unsuccessful and decided to pour bleach on her instead to try to get rid of, like, any evidence that they had left on the woman, on Brittany. Oh, my God. Uh, she also gave the location of where the body was dumped. So the letter also indicated where, um, sorry, yeah, where she was dumped and telling police they would likely find handcuff marks on the wrist and that the handcuffs and a knife were disposed of at a beach uh, restroom in Oceanside. Police later on did find the handcuffs that were used on Brittany. Uh, Jessica took full responsibility in this letter but police were skeptical, being that they had a master-slave relationship. He, I mean, he could have forced her to write the note, right? Like, if they mm-hmm. had that kind of submissive, uh, she was submissive to him. 
Uh, and later on that day, Brittany's body was found in a bush along the side of the road near Lake Skinner, which is located in uh, the Temecula Valley. So it's just, I believe it's north of Fallbrook, where they were at. Um, after police discovered Brittany's body in the lake, in the Lake Skinner area, it became apparent she had been violated, mutilated, and had endured hours of torture prior to her death. Jessica also said that she shot the victim with a stun gun, wrapped a rope around her neck, buried her, buried her face in a pillow, and strangled her. Um, she did have uh, strangulation marks on her neck to where, like, the cartilage in her neck bone, I guess, was broken, which um, caused suffocation and she died and she had like her eyes were really bloodshot like she had broken blood vessels from the strangulation yeah um and she also had like burn marks on her neck from the stun gun like the two little prods yeah they she also attempted to like chop her up by using power tools and she appeared to have marks on her that were post-mortem so the postmortem markings were from where they tried to cut her up. Like, I guess, like, her left knee had a really huge bloodless gash oh um, that was down to the bone. And on the bone, there was markings that were from, like, a saw, like a power tool that they tried to dismember her. Yeah. So Jessica was charged on first-degree murder. Uh, Perez was already being charged with stolen gun, with a stolen gun, and so was additionally charged with first-degree murder as well. A few weeks later, Dorothy, the girlfriend, is also arrested and charged with first-degree murder as well, and all three were held on a $3 million bond. They all pled not guilty. Yeah. Sure. So. Sure. The following, yeah, the following year in, uh, March 2013... Brittany's best friend, Elizabeth, testified at the preliminary preliminary hearing. She said that Brittany became acquainted with the trio in 2011 after Elizabeth... This was kind of weird. I'm not sure which one, but Elizabeth had responded to an ad selling a fertility monitor. I guess Elizabeth and um, Brittany had become really good friends because they both were trying to get pregnant around the same time. So I'm not sure who was selling the fertility monitor, but I believe Elizabeth met the trio, the trio like Betis, Dorothy, and Jessica yeah. through Brittany because they had known each other. So both Elizabeth and Brittany would visit the trio's home. And according to Elizabeth, the trio was very open about their BDSM lifestyle and openly discussed it with them on several occasions. Um, but the girls, they made it super clear that they didn't want to be a part of it. And they were not interested in becoming part of, of that. Um, Elizabeth discussed this, discussed having, or in, in 2012, uh, Elizabeth states that her and Brittany had a falling out in early 2012. And so Elizabeth would discuss this with the trio, you know, just to vent and get it off her chest. And so mm-hmm. um, they were all it seemed like they were all playing to Elizabeth's disliking of Brittany at, at the moment and they referred to her as being the disease and the herpes like that's how they referred to her just to I guess be on Elizabeth's side wow that's so mature 
Yeah, and that they even discussed getting rid of Brittany, that they could get rid of, of her, but they wouldn't because Elizabeth would, Elizabeth would miss her too much. Elizabeth, of course, brushed this off as a joke. These comments were jokes, and she didn't take them seriously. That is not a joke. You don't ever talk about... No one, you don't joke about getting rid of somebody. That's just crazy. I know, hindsight, right? But at uh, the time, she was like, uh, yeah. oh, they're just, they're on my side. You know, it's kind of like when you're like, oh, so-and-so made me mad. I'm like, oh, that bitch. I hate her too. Yes. In solidarity. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. maybe I know. she you're, thought you're, it was that. I, I, I get it. I, yeah. I, I mean, I totally get where they're coming from on like, oh, sticking together as, you know, understanding yeah. and being good friends but ah, be a le- yeah. learn from that people don't talk about getting rid of people it's not yeah it's not good that's not good yeah now listen to this <laughs> jessica the roommate wanted to represent herself in the trial oh god as one crazy person does right <laughs> <laughs> yeah we all know how well that goes mm. But she changed her mind. Don't worry. She changed her mind. She did go through a few um, defense attorneys, though. She went through, like, three of them before finally deciding on her fourth, because the fourth one's a lucky one. Mm. Um, uh, Jane Kinsley was her new defense attorney. And Kinsley files uh, various motions to delay the trial in order to, like, familiarize herself with the case and review the more than 7,000 documents. Sorry, 700 <laughs> 700 documents and 165 DVDs related to the case. Uh, the oh judge God. grants her this motion. Yeah. Um, she, so the judge grants her the motion just so she can familiarize herself. And it does delay the, the trial. Uh, Bettis's attorney also filed for multiple motions to delay the trial. A statement was released saying that they would not be seeking the death penalty. And this prevented any more delays in the trial. Like, let's get on with it. They're trying to, you know, prevent the death penalty, and let's just do this. So Jessica's attorney filed a motion, again, another one, to remove Jessica's confession letter. So it was Jessica's letter, sorry, that um, that was found in the hotel. I think I might have said Dorothy. It was Dorothy that attempted to kill herself, but it was Jessica's confession. So they tried to remove that confession from evidence, claiming that the words in the letter were part of Jessica's fantasies, and that because it was so descriptive, gruesome, and disturbing, it would cause biasness amongst the jury. So she's saying that it wasn't real, the letter. It was uh, all part of her fantasy. It was all made up in her mind. Yeah, but what she did was real, so... Exactly. Oh my god. Yes, exactly. And there's evidence I mean, to prove that whatever. on Brittany's body. Yeah, whatever you got to do. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the judge was like, nah, I'm going to keep it. <laughs> I'm going to keep that letter. Um, however, it, yeah, well, I mean, it was all really relevant to, <laughs> yeah. to all of it. But he did restrict a lot of the, like, descriptions of the crime that he deemed, or I'm sorry, that she or he, I'm not sure, the judge. The judge deemed too grotesque for the jury. Um, so on October 21st, 2015, Luis Perez, Dorothy Maraglino, I think that's how you say it, and Jessica Lopez were all three convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life without parole. Oh, thank God. Yes. Yeah, so they are still in prison, and hopefully they'll stay there 
forever for this forever. gruesome crime. That's horrible. Now, if you're wondering about the husband, there isn't much on him, but I did find he did make a statement, and it's the only statement he has made. And it says this, quote, My wife, Brittany, was beautiful beyond words, and her murder has left me devastated. My duty to her memory is now to ensure her good reputation remains intact and help law enforcement and prosecutors secure justice for the person or persons who took her away from me. Brittany's death cannot be in vain, and at this point, I don't know how to use this tragedy for good, but others have found their way, and I hope to do the same. Brittany meant too much to do any less. As my father-in-law said, please honor my wife's name and don't succumb to salacious gossip and rumor. Brittany was a beautiful, good person who did not deserve this. Thank you. And then her mother, I did find her obituary. Her mother says, Brittany filled, sorry, quote, Brittany filled our life with much love and laughter. She was blossoming into a beautiful, confident young woman, still finding her path in life. All who knew her will miss her laughter and her sharp, witty sense of humor. She will be deeply missed by her sister, who had become her best friend, and by her brother, who she loved to play video games with and goof around with. Brittany has many friends and family who now have a void that can never be filled by her loss. Brittany will always be missed and forever be dearly loved. And that is the tragic story of Brittany Kilgore. Mm. Wow, I'm glad that they found the people and they are in jail in prison forever but my god that was horrible i know she was so young she was so young and new to this completely new environment that is the being a military wife to a new area in california and she was she was described in some of the articles as being like a like a small town girl so she wasn't Mm -hmm. She was too trusting, I think, and that was probably part of why she fell, not fell for, but trusted Bettis. And uh, it's very, I know, it's unfortunate. And poor thing. Well, that was, um, that was quite the story, as always. I can't wait to hear your stories. There are. insane yeah oh that was a roller coaster of emotions it was i wish i had more on her um other than you know it's the usual stuff that everybody writes about a loved one it's like she could light up a room just by walking in she was she was friendly she was quirky um so it talks about her sense of humor being really out there which i'm all for like that's how my sense of humor is so I guess that's how she bonded with her husband. It was over this this quirky sense of humor that they both had. And unfortunately, it wasn't enough to keep the marriage going. So, And I understand, you know, when, when your spouse leaves and is gone for so long, it's just so hard to keep hope up sometimes. And if you're so lonely and, yeah. But, and, and maybe that made her even more vulnerable and, and, um, Bettis preyed on that because she was vulnerable and, you know, gave her all the more attention. Yeah. Probably attention that she was craving. And so that's why she trusted him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He saw his opening and he took it. That's for sure. That's what it was. He saw an opening. 
an opening for all three of them to try to, you know, I don't know, to like, what do you say? How do you say it? Like satisfy their needs for this lifestyle they have. Listen, I'm I'm all for like if you want to do crazy stuff, consensual stuff in the bedroom, go for it, whatever. Yeah. But if it's like this is crazy, like why do you need to take somebody's life for this? Yeah. That was just You're not sick. necessary. You can do do the freaky shit, whatever whatever satisfies you, but don't do you can't get into the whole no, there's no sick individuals. Right? Never need to murder somebody. Never. No. Ugh. I was um people. I was watching the other day. I can't remember where, but it was they were interviewing the daughter, the BTK, BTK's daughter. Yeah. And um, it was so sad because she would like talk about. She's like, I still love my father because I love the person that I knew. And how he was at home, I didn't know that he had this other life because he kept it so well hidden. Mm-hmm. And he was into some of that stuff too. Yeah. Into the sadomasochism. Into the binding. Yeah. Yeah. But for himself, yeah. like he would do it to himself and take pictures of himself like that. Yeah. Oh, it's sick. It's weird. It's It's just, it's. It's weird to me, yes, because I don't, I'm not into that stuff. It's, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I know there's other people out there that are totally into it. That's fine. That's what you like. But when you are a psychopath and you like this kind of shit, no. That's where the line <laughs> needs to be drawn. That's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you don't, you don't need to bring in anybody out from the outside that doesn't consent to it just to hurt them, just to satisfy your sick needs like that. Yeah. There's, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's just wrong. Wrong on all levels. <laughs> I mean, the people that do this, there's organizations that dedicate themselves to this, you know, and they have, you know, they have safe words for this, for, you know, so they don't get hurt. And they have rules in place for this. Yeah. You can't just go off off the grid and do whatever you want. <laughs> That's not what I'm paying you for. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's um mm. let's talk about something nice now. Something nice. Yeah, Jen. Give me something good. What I got for you today for our topic actually comes from a listener slash friend. Yay! She emailed us, Carol. Thank you, Carol. Carol, we miss you. We do a lot. She was saying how uh, that there's not a lot of, um, what would you even call it? There's just not a lot out there to express the what they do humanitarian work-wise. The military participates in a lot of different humanitarian missions, and it doesn't really get brought up a lot. It gets brought up about, you know, going to war and deployments and all all the kind of bad things that a lot of people are not really a fan of. But mm-hmm. we don't really get to celebrate the good things that they do, which is all the humanitarian work. So the humanitarian and support missions um, the military does, uh, it's... The DOD, it's uniquely postured to provide assistance uh, because of the assets that the military has, such as transport ships and aircraft. 
medical personnel, engineering equipment, and search and rescue expertise. So that's the number one thing why they can do these missions because they're not always like easy things. Yeah. That's my husband, search and rescue. Yes. Um, The DOD almost always works along with other federal agencies and non-governmental organizations such as the Red Cross, um, the U.S. Agency for International Development, and Federal Emergency Management Agency. That's a mouthful. These services also work alongside allied and partner nation uh, nation military agency too. So they work with other na- uh, nations military. Humanitarian operations often result in lives saved and goodwill here and abroad. They help build partnerships, especially when nations participate in disaster response exercises before um, an actual disaster strikes. So a lot of the times when you hear exercise, these places that do these type of missions will, that's what they're doing in the exercise. They're practicing before something actually happens. Right. So these humanitarian efforts are not a new thing. During 1948 to 49, the Berlin airlift, uh, in Berlin, they airlifted food and relief supplies um to the people of West Berlin after the Soviets blocked the rail and road roadways to into the city. Right. So they were able to use planes to be able to get them the supplies that they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the examples that I found for their humanitarian missions were Operation Tomodachi. Tomodachi. Mm-hmm. Tomodachi. Sounds right. Okay, good. Thank you. Yay! Um, this was after Jap- uh, a Japanese earthquake and tsunami hit in 2011. The U.S. forces delivered food, water, blankets, clothing, and medical supplies to support Japanese civilian and military partners. Do you remember that? Do you remember seeing it on the news? The tsunami? I, I believe so. I know because it's mm-hmm. 2011, so that was quite a while ago um i do think i remember seeing it on tv for sure yeah um back when i used to watch the news back in the day yeah i i remember because we were i worked at the dental clinic at the time and so afn was always playing in the waiting area oh yeah so i remember we would come out and grab like a patient everybody would be staring at the tv and so yeah, and it was just devastating to see all the loss and the, the, the damage and just the destruction that it was causing. So and I mean yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of military bases in Japan, so mm-hmm. the capability is there. Yes, thank goodness. Yep, and that's the thing. They you know, they practice so they can take care of when it happens, when disaster mm-hmm. strikes. Yeah. Um another one was during Typhoon um okay this i might not get right haiyan haiyan in the philippines something like that um Mm -hmm. service members on were on ground working with the philippine military to provide essential medical treatments and supplies um a what is called an unusual unusual humanitarian operation in 2014 was Operation United Assistance in support of USAID 
They provided medical engineering and other assets to fight against Ebola virus outbreak in West Africa. Oh, do we all remember the U.S. <laughs> remember Ebola? Yeah. And, and then I thought I had Ebola. Yeah, it was just the flu. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. There was one in Nepal. Marine Corps, uh, Marine Corps helicopters and tilt rotator aircraft flew relief supplies in remote Himalayan mountain villages. And the Air Force C-17 Globemaster III aircraft transported supplies as well. Um, that was an earthquake that happened in 2015 in Nepal. So that's why they were sent out there. One example of a local DOD slash FEMA humanitarian operation was after Hurricane mm-hmm. Katrina that occurred in Louisiana and other Gulf Coast areas in the east. They were there on ground helping so with those those help in disaster situations you know natural disasters that happen earthquakes tsunamis typhoons hurricanes everything there are also ongoing operations that are not for disaster relief a um, operation christmas drop which we had we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. me and veronica not not you guys sorry but i'll tell you about it now (laughs) Um, This tradition started in 1952. It serves as a training mission for the Air Force. It's the longest-running DOD mission in full operation and longest-running humanitarian airlift in the world. It's supported by local communities of Guam, primarily conducted from Anderson Air Force Base and Yokota Air Base. And it targets Micronesia. Woo! Micronesia! (laughs) Woohoo! Micronesia! Um, So today... The unique Christmas tradition continues with donations from residents, businesses on Guam, and the military community. Each box dropped from a C-130 aircraft weighs nearly 400 pounds and contains usually fishing nets, construction materials, powdered milk, canned goods, rice, coolers, clothing, shoes, toys, and school supplies. Yes. It gives troops practice in humanitarian aid drops. Volunteers from Anderson Air Force Base, including the 734th Air Mobility Squadron and both crew and aircraft from the 36th Airlift Squadron at Yokota Air Base, participate in this. So that's really cool. It is really cool. If you see anything like that, wherever you are, Donate, because that's awesome. Absolutely. I remember we were in, when we were in Guam, I remember seeing stuff like that. And it always, like, I guess I just never noticed it. I might have donated. I don't remember, honestly. It was so long ago. But um, I do remember, like, it would be all over AFN that they were dropping in, like, Saipan or or Rota or, like, the um, Tinian, like, the, you know, surrounding islands. It was really cool to see, like, the people that were, like, running to the boxes and they would open them and they were, like, handing out the stuff. And I do remember seeing, like, the school supplies for the children there. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So it was really cool. Yeah. That's really awesome. So, yeah, that's one um, one operation that's still ongoing uh, that they do. And it's great because then they get practice in how to, you know, provide aid drops anywhere they go yes yes another one if one of which that our friend carol mentioned in her email is operation deep freeze 
Thank you, Carol. Mm-hmm. This is this was awesome. I've I've kind of heard of it, and I've done I've watched some videos on Ant- Antarctica, so I kind of knew a little bit. But this was fascinating learning, and then hearing Penguins. it from somebody whose husband has gone through this too. So C-17s out of uh, Joint Base McCord, Lewis McCord, go a couple of months every year, usually around October to February timeframe, which is the summer for Antarctica. The mission provides support in transporting needed supplies and equipment to scientists living and doing research there. So when the military TDYs, they base out of New Zealand and they can... They stay at some hotel. So she was, um, she provided a little bit more to it too because she listened to our TDY episode about how, like, Mm -hmm. your active duty member spouses can make some serious bank on per diem because here, if they say (laughs) they get serious per diem in New Zealand, and if you live off of, like, you know, rice and beans, you make, you're gonna bring home the bacon. No, and I'm saying. Or the sheep, because there's a lot <laughs> yes. of sheep in New Zealand. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. Operation Deep Freeze, it still happens continuously. Um, there's a f- an, there's a couple other bases, I believe, that also fly out to do this mission as well. Um, they just go, and they go to New Zealand. That's where they stay. They'll fly from New Zealand to the, the base in Antarctica, drop their supplies, mm-hmm. I don't know what the whole ordeal is, and I don't know if we're allowed to know. I don't know, but they're there to support the scientists and the researchers providing the supplies because it's summertime, and so they can actually be outdoors somewhat, I guess. Right. (laughs) But I thought that was pretty cool. Some pretty fascinating stuff that our military does. That is really cool. For the world. See, we're not, they're not only, you know, training for war and stuff, which is probably the impression of a lot of people that have not been involved in the military. Right. Holy shit, my stomach. I heard I'm that so one. I'm so sorry. I heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's growling, you guys. It's so hungry because Jen said rice and beans in New Zealand. <laughs> so now it's hungry. But, you know, no, it's, it's, it's true. It's like people are under the impression that the military, all they do is train to kill and combat and war and all that. But it's, it's not, you know, you have, it's an entire other world within a world. It's yeah. so weird to describe. It's like, it's a civilization. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're we're all, you know, it's just a running running business, basically. Like, there's, there's everything within the military. And they're doing such good things for the community as well, within the local community and globally. So, thinking... Locally acting globally. Yes. Yes. Thank you. It's true. I loved that. That was beautiful. Perfectly put. Veronica could yeah. not have put that any better. Thanks. So Thank you. For sure. You did a great job, Jen. I like that. Thank you to Carol for really bringing up that topic yes. because I don't think we would have come up on it, come up on our own with it. Like, yeah. Thanks, Carol. Yes. Thank you, Carol. That was an awesome suggestion. This is what I'm talking about, people. Mm-hmm. We love the suggestions because... Yeah, like you said, we probably wouldn't have even thought of this at all. Not something, well, mm-hmm. you know, neither of our husbands are. Well, I don't know. Has your husband ever done a humanitarian drop or anything? Or, um, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, he gets 
he gets trained for this stuff. Right. We haven't been in the position where he needs to deploy for that kind of stuff. Um, but, like, in California, with all the fires going on, um, they, of course, use the um, Travis Air Force Base firefighters. I know were out there, too. I'm sure in Southern California they were, too. I'm just... That's what I know, so I mentioned Travis, and so they were out there, and I know um, when we were in Guam, uh, Kyle rescued someone from the water, mm-hmm. but that was I was I was on base. I mean, it's his job, right? It's his job to rescue people. But if if they called him to do something outside of the military, it is a possibility. It just yeah. hasn't had it happen to him yet. It just hasn't but happened it is, yet. It is there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So we haven't really been through that yet. So it was kind of cool learning from right. a spouse and then being able to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I like I I mentioned to you before we started recording. I know our friends. One of them. Uh. He he did that. He did. He was part of the operation, deep freeze, and he got to go to Antarctica, and he had awesome pictures. I bet. Awesome pictures. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So that was really interesting. Awesome. Great job, Jen. Thank you, Carol, for sending that. Keep your suggestions coming. I love it. Yes. Please write us, send us, mail us, whatever you got to do. Call us. Get our attention. And get your suggestions to us because we love them and we will put them on our episodes because they're the best. Absolutely. Best ideas. Absolutely. Coming straight from mm-hmm. you. Please mm-hmm. do it. Email us at dependusbelaining at gmail.com or find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those social platforms. You'll find us. We're and also muster. Yes, please. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's all the stories we have for you guys today. Other than that, I don't have anything else going on. Other than my stomach would not stop... <laughs> rumbling throughout this whole session i was watching the recording on the screen and it was like nothing no sound and then it would just get really fuzzy when my stomach would start moving i was like oh no jen's gonna have a lot of editing to do uh, that's fine i'll be listening to it and be like yeah. oh well there's veronica's yeah it is belly. loud yeah a couple of them are helicopters the rest of them are my stomach <laughs> sound equally as loud <laughs> I think I stretched out my stomach with all the spaghetti we ate, like, yeah. <laughs> which we pasta. made, we made our homemade garlic bread. We made, yeah, garlic bread because I was like, man, if you buy frozen garlic bread, it's small and it, it costs more than buying a baguette and making it yourself. Right. So we're like, let's just do it ourselves. And so we were like emulsifying butter and garlic yesterday in the kitchen and the whole kitchen smelled like garlic and we were in a hurry. And I was like, he was like, I got to get there at two o'clock and it was like one thirty, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to slice all this bread and, <laughs> and butter it and put garlic and parsley and cheese on it still. So it was rough, but we got it done. So my kitchen is still a mess because I was like, I'm exhausted still from Sunday. I haven't been able to catch up on sleep. And then the kitchen's a mess. I need to catch up on laundry. My son has lost all his uniform sweaters. Oh, no. All of them. Yes. Remember how I was like, he has never lost anything. Yeah. He's so good. Like, even a pair of gloves, he would never lose them. And he has lost two 
sweaters, a zip-up hoodie, and today we discovered he didn't bring home his coat, <gasps> his winter coat. For yeah, and I said, buddy, you gotta bring it home, or you don't have a winter coat. And he was like, I'm sorry. I was like, don't say sorry, just bring it home. I was like, cause you're gonna be really cold. Yeah. And so I had to send him to school in a short sleeved shirt and like a really light coat. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible mother. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it? And also, he's a terrible. Is child. it cold over? <laughs> is it cold over there? Jen. Sure? Jen, let me tell because you. Because it's <laughs> it's cold. It's like. 90 degrees here so i don't know I hope what you find a cockroach is. in your house <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is um currently no it's not here currently i'm looking at the weather it is 59 degrees so it's not too bad but we're expecting rain around five o'clock no thanks 80 percent rain 100 percent rain around six o'clock it's just been raining non-stop and then yesterday we got a break Today we're getting somewhat of a break, but it's been cold. Yeah, yeah I'm don't like it. I, I, I don't see like you in it. I'm wearing a sweatshirt, so that's why it's. So... I'm wearing a sweatshirt, and my house is cold, and I refuse. I refuse to turn on my central heating because <laughs> I just filled. We have so here in in our house here in the UK, we use oil to heat our water, and or we burn oil to heat our water and to heat the house. So we just filled our tank because the only positive thing that has come out of COVID <laughs> is that oil prices have dropped ridiculously. And I what co- would cost me $900 to fill my tank for the year cost us $300. $300 for the year. Yeah. It was ridiculous, and I was like, this is beautiful. I'm going to take it. Let's go. Let's fill our tank right now. So I know we need to leave a quarter of a tank full before we move out of the house, and I was like, "That we have four months to burn through this oil. I was like, we can do it. We'll be <laughs> fine. I was like, because it does go fast. It does really go fast, and I usually fill it twice a year. Um, so now it's like, well, we filled it once, and this is what's going to get us until yeah. we move. And so I'm refusing to turn it on because i'm being stingy i mean you got it. blankets yeah, you got three. sweatshirts you're it'll be fine right yeah. <laughs> i have a space yeah. heater that's what i've been heating the living room with but the little space heater for a little bit and then yeah everybody put on your socks and your sweatpants and your layers. sweaters and some layers and layers Lots and layers, layers to go to bed time you'll be fine yeah <laughs> it's fine yeah hot water you better reduce your showers to two yeah. minutes <laughs> Actually, I did start. I did start timing my kids. I I give them two minutes for everything. I'm like, you first get in. You have two minutes to like warm yourself up and, and get yourself nice and wet, and then and then sh- uh, wash your body when the alarm goes off. And then when the alarm goes off, start washing your hair. So yeah, I started giving them timers so they have exactly two for eight minutes Good. to get in That's and smart. get out. That's smart. My daughter likes to just leisurely shower and. I don't even know. She just probably just sits there with the water hitting her head. That's my daughter. She likes to she likes to plug the bathtub and let it fill with water and then she sits down and plays in the water. I was like I was like, No, we gotta go to school. Like you gotta be dressed and ready to go in like ten minutes. Uh, I like that. Oh, children. Yeah. They're the best. They are. They're the best. Greatest. Yeah. Uh well Veronica, that story was uh, I mean, I hate to use the word, but it was amazing. 
I mean, yeah. awfully amazing. It's awful. It was a it was a terrible it was a terrible story. Terrible. But I think she needs more recognition. She need you know she needs to be known more for for her. I wish there was more on her that I could talk about on who she was, yeah. but there really was not. It was like it was mostly focused on the crime and the people who committed it, who don't deserve an ounce of recognition, honestly. Um, but. I just want um just know that we mean no disrespect when we joke in between the story. We're not making fun of the victim, and uh, sometimes we just need a little bit of humor inserted into the situation. Right. So, but we exactly. we we on we definitely honor her. I mean, she was a fellow dependa, so exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's too sad. It's it's too sad. She just she didn't have enough time. There's, she did not have enough time, and unfortunately, being young and new and naive to all this life, mm-hmm. you don't really know who you can and can't trust, and unfortunately, she yeah. was she just trusted the wrong people. Yes. So be careful who you hang out with and who you trust. Yes. Don't go out on dates with men that are twice your age. Yeah. And have girlfriends who say it's girlfriends. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Strange. All right. Well, I'm going to go get myself something to eat before yes. my stomach escapes out my belly button and eats my face. Because <laughs> um, I feel like we're pretty close to that right now. <laughs> and Jen, you let us know. Keep us updated. Hopefully next week you'll have something on your household goods. Hopefully. Hopefully next yeah. week. We'll have some other news besides me saying I don't know where it is still. <laughs> <laughs> the never-ending saga of the HHG. Yeah. yeah. We'll be probably in the same boat as you here. Well, in a while. it's We still got a couple months to go before we actually pack out and then head out and then look out. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited, you guys. Stop it. I'm excited. Don't judge me because I'm excited to go to our next location. Thank you for listening to my story and thank you guys for listening today. Don't forget to reach out if you guys have any questions, suggestions, ideas, topics we want you guys want us to cover or bases you want us to highlight. Um, you can reach us at dependesplaining at gmail.com. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and also check out Milso Muster with lots of uh, military-related information for you guys. And don't forget to rate us on your listening platforms. Uh, Subscribe. Leave us comments. Leave us a nice little comment on Facebook. I love it. Or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you know? And Jen is waving goodbye to us from the screen. And she says this is what she wants you to know as she's dancing away. Don't forget <laughs> your face. Don't forget that wherever you go, there you are. Unless you're on a boat, boat with Jen's household goods, then nobody knows where you are. And then, where did you go? Where'd you go? <laughs>